This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's time. Time for Silver and Black today. To the ground game. Touchdown Las Vegas. We're breaking down the latest Raider news from on and off the field. And bringing you conversations with newsmakers and record breakers. So hold on, Raider Nation. It's time to get get it on. Here's your host, Scott Goldbranson and Mo Moulton. Welcome back. It is Silver and Black today. Thanks for joining us here. We are an Odyssey original podcast. We appreciate you being with us. Raider Nation, it's been a tough few days. You've had a few more days, day and a half, to digest what was an epic collapse for the Raiders. Their their biggest loss as far as losing a 20-point lead in franchise history. We're going to revisit it this last time. We do this on our Tuesday shows where we kind of go back after watching the film and do that. And, of course, always... With me here on the show is my co-host and my partner, and that is Mr. Mo Moten. He is the national NFL writer for Bleacher Report. He also writes Raiders content and a column for SportsNot.com. You can follow him at Mo Moten. You can see it there on the screen, M-O-E-M-O-T-O-N. All right, Mo, we didn't uh, have you, obviously, on the postgame show where a lot of fans in the chat, a lot of listeners since then a lot of DMs, a lot of public tweets, a lot of messages to the email box. People are not happy. This was not only a tough one to swallow for a Raider fan as far as the loss goes, but the way in which this team lost, the way in which this team was Jekyll and Hyde in week two is just really hard for everybody. And I think everyone's still trying to make sense of it. Mo, help us make sense of it. What did you see you were working all Sunday, so you watched the game late Sunday into, into Monday as we speak to you on Tuesday. What did you see and what was your initial reaction after watching it? An article, a column on Sports Not Today, so there, there's a lot here. But just to sum it up so that I'm not up here talking for an hour, <laughs> I think it really, <laughs> I think it really started. One thing that jumped out, the first thing that jumped out to me was Chandler Jones is not playing up to his salary. Now, the Raiders signed to a three-year, $51 million contract, $32 million in guarantees. 
I haven't seen uh, – he had a couple of plays here and there in both games, but I haven't seen nearly enough from him. And the Raiders need more than one pass rusher if they're going to go up against mobile quarterbacks or quarterbacks who can run with the football as Kyler Murray can. So as the league is changing, as the quarterback position is evolving and more quarterbacks are coming to the league and are able to move with the football, the Raiders have to adjust their defense to the evolution of that position. Because if you don't have guys to at least spy on the quarterback – and you're going to have problems all season. There are three within the AFC West right now, and Herbert, Russell Wilson, and Patrick Mahomes who can all move. And those guys can extend plays. They may not run with the football for 20, 30 yards or run all over the backyard like Kyler Murray, but they can extend plays. And if you can't pressure them or at least spy, you're going to have an issue. Another thing that popped up to me was this team looked kind of like the John Gruden team in recent years. Penalties. Missed opportunities in the red zone. They had to set up for two field goals inside the Cardinals' 15-yard line that came back to bite them, and it showed in the score. Now they now they had to go into overtime, but can you imagine if they converted at least one of those red zone trips into a touchdown? Probably wouldn't have to go into overtime. The other thing that stood out to me was last week, uh, a lot of complaints about Derek Carr relying too much on Devontae Adams. This time, it wasn't enough Devontae Adams. I don't know if it's overcorrection <laughs> or just the way the game flow was, but to give Devontae, to have to target Devontae Adams once between the third and the fourth quarter to me is just as unacceptable as t- targeting him 20 to 25 times and forgetting Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro. You pay this guy on a five year, $140 million extension, and you give him one target as you're struggling to find an offense and the team that you're playing is battling back. That's inexcusable. Yeah, it was crazy. And and again, some of it, I think, was the the, the focus of the Arizona defense. Remember, the Arizona, the much maligned Arizona defense. That's not, listen, any NFL defense has talent, but this is not a unit. We talked about it last week with our guest, right? This was not a unit that's going to scare anybody. This was the opportunity for the Raiders to go out and play a weaker defense, get healthy. Now, you talk about that, Mo, and we're going to talk about Derek Carr on, in the last segment of the show. We're talking now about the game in general. We're going to talk about McDaniels in the second segment. So, so stick with us on that, and we'll get to that later. But when you think about that and you talk about not targeting Adams, um, you, you heard last week, point of emphasis for Derek Carr coming out of the Chargers' loss. I was over-aggressive. I need to settle down a little bit. So then he goes the exact opposite and becomes very, very reserved and consistent, or excuse me, conservative, as does the coach in the second half. When you look at those two halves of football, were you of same mind with me where you just saw two separate teams? It looked like literally invasion of the body snatchers. Somebody came and took that offense away and put other people in the shells of these players. It was so inexplicably clear that the philosophy just changed. And this goes back to my point where I felt like I was watching John Gruden's team again, because remember that was a criticism under John Gruden that if he gets a lead, he's going to get too conservative, take his foot off the gas pedal and let the other team back in the game. And that's kind of what you saw with the Raiders on Sunday. And I think part of now, part of that is I think the game plan for the Cardinals was to not let the Raiders beat them deep. So you saw a lot of mm-hmm, too high mm-hmm. safety. So they had uh, Jalen Thompson. They had Buda Baker back there at times. Maybe uh, Isaiah Simmons didn't play as much as I guess a lot of people thought. They kind of took him off the field early. But they did have two high safeties, and they allowed the Raiders – not allowed, but they just said, okay, we're going to rush minimally, but we're going to drop in the coverage and make sure Waller and Adams 
and Hunter Renfro have bodies around him so that if Derek Carr, even if Derek Carr has time in the pocket, he's going to face some muddled areas where he's not going to maybe want to pull the trigger because there are one or two defenders around him. So the Raiders took what their defense was given them, which is a lot mm-hmm. of underneath stuff. Now, by the way, Josh McDaniels is known for the short intermediate pass. So that's his thing. That's in his wheelhouse. So I guess they were comfortable with that game plan. My problem in the second half was you're up 20 to zero. The clock is on your side. The clock is against the Cardinals because they have to play catch up. And Josh Jacobs ran the ball relatively well in the first half. Run the ball, bleed the clock, bleed the clock a little bit. You don't have to go completely ultra conservative, but if Josh Jacobs is getting three or four yards per pop on his runs. You can bleed the clock and still move the ball a bit. And I felt like they went away from the run game, went too pass heavy. And there was one drive that a lot of fans are talking about on Twitter that talking to me about on Twitter as well is that one drive at the beginning of the fourth quarter where the Raiders go pass, 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 all three incomplete, and the drive lasted 24 seconds to give the ball back to the Cardinals. To me, that was the turning point of the game, and I think Adam Archuleta, who's a broadcaster, also pointed that out. Well, and and you saw yesterday, I don't know how many people watched the highlights uh, from the league overall, but you saw what the Patriots did, right? You saw the Patriots use the clock to win the game, and Bill Belichick talked about it after the game. And so you think Josh McDaniels would have learned that because Belichick has been a master of that. You build a lead, then you you milk the clock. You take away the time the other team has to score points, especially when you build a double-digit lead. That doesn't mean you're always overly conservative. What it means, though, is when you have the ball, you make sure you have long, sustained drives. That's how the Patriots literally won over those years. They didn't. Tom Brady was not some big ball thrower down the field for bombs. Small, short, intermediary passes with runs, with runs or even swing passes out from the backfield. All stuff that was short that got them three, five, seven yards so that you could get first downs and move the sticks and keep that clock run and stay in bounds. It, it, it's shocking to me how poorly the game was managed in the second half from the coaching staff, uh, including on that final drive. You get down into field goal range and yes they have the little line right that's the safe field goal range they put it you're two yards from that on on two straight downs you're in the shotgun throwing the ball I just don't understand if you have that running back room why you don't go to it no one asked the coach this question by the way Um, I would have if I could have and I'm not that's not just internet bravado that is a true fact no one asked him about the sequence at the end of the game I can't figure it out Mo I can't figure it out other than sometimes you have a brilliant offensive mind or a brilliant defensive mind. They try <laughs> to outsmart the room. And I think sometimes you just have to go with the obvious plan of approach. And sometimes right. coaches may get too smart for their too, too smart for their opponents and try to outsmart the room. And, and this is what you get. But I think that the Raiders squandered an opportunity to feed Jacobs, get their run game going, balance the offense, and bleed the clock all at the same time while giving the Carlos the least amount of time as possible, and you saw what happened. The other the other narrative that I'm seeing, and I want to get your comment on this too, having watched the game again, and that is the defense. I, I see a lot of people focusing on the defense. I saw some of the beat writers focus on the defense 
Um, and with all due respect to them, I think they're completely wrong. Because listen, was there problems on defense? Absolutely. That defense is not a perfect defense. Okay, we understand that. We understand they need to get better, especially in pass coverage. Actually, even though there were some good performances, like I talked about on Sunday night, Meek Robertson uh, really I thought played a, a good, solid game. He's 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 coming along, which is nice to see. But that defense was on the field for 51 plays in the second half. The Raiders had just 18 plays on offense. How is that the defense's fault, Mo? When you get down to the game and you talked about not getting the production you need out of Chandler Jones, absolutely correct. You have to have a pass rush. Oh, and by the way, something we've talked about for two years, still no rush up the middle. Okay, They're not getting any pressure up the middle, which we knew was going to be a problem. But... That defense, how can you expect that defense? And they actually held up pretty well up until that last quarter, considering how much they were on the field. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think they pointed it out during the broadcast. 51 plays on the field, so the defense is gassed, chasing after Kyler Murray, who's running all over (laughs) Allegiant Stadium's yard. Can you imagine that, being on the field that long and having to chase around Kyler Murray? But you're absolutely right, and this goes back to my point of why you run the ball because when you run the ball you get the clock moving you take your time and when you throw the ball and you don't complete the pass you stop the clock and then the drive is short your defense is back on the field so you know it it goes hand in hand to me and i think part of a lot of people want to blame Carr for that and of course Carr wasn't deadly accurate on sunday i won't say that was his best game but I thought he played well enough where the off where Josh McDaniels can play off of him and have the run game incorporated in the game plan so that you, again, you can have a balanced attack enough to keep your defense off the field. Yeah. And I know we're going to talk about Carr in the final segment, but did he play horribly? No, but the second half play calling. Yes. Quarterback. Yes. Both. I think. And we'll get to that later. Mo, before we uh, head out for our first break here in a few minutes, uh, I want to get your, your take on this. Clearly Sunday night, people fans, because they're, they're so devote devoted to this team and so passionate, they were really beside themselves. They were upset. I have never seen, I saw, I had more people come on the live chat and hit us up on the show saying that they were done with Derek Carr. Okay. That they were done, you know, fire Josh McDaniels. You're not going to fire a coach after two weeks, folks. Let's just get that straight. Um, and <laughs> they were really upset. When you look at this team 0-2, and I keep throwing the stat out there and people keep getting mad at me, but since the the the, the NFL went to 14-team playoff format, no 0-2 team has made the playoffs. It hasn't happened. The Raiders sit at 0-2. Um, how deep should this concern be with these eight quarters of football that you've seen from this Raiders team with the money they spent with the upgrade seemingly at coaching and in the front office. Uh, and then of course the addition on defense of a big player who yes, might not be exactly a spring chicken, but there's more expected of them. I think there's a legitimate concern there because you're not expecting to start Owen two with the roster that you put together because you have bigger aspirations than just simply making the playoffs. This team made the playoffs last year. Uh, the reason you make the moves that you make this year is to go further into the playoffs. So yes, there there is legitimate concern there. And I and I saw your stat. And there are other stats out there. I put on the sports.com that I dropped today that since 1990, I know this is going back to when there were only six playoff teams per conference. But since 1990, I believe 11.3% teams that started 0-2 made the playoffs. And I, what I will say to counteract that, to, to combat that, is to say 
last year, I would say eight months ago, and I tweeted this on Monday, eight months ago, I went through Raiders playoff scenarios when the Raiders were six and seven. Mm-hmm. I believe um, they had a 4.4% chance of making the playoffs. And a lot of people told me, oh, you're wasting your time, Mo, writing these playoff scenario <laughs> articles. Raiders aren't going to the playoffs. They, they have one wide receiver. They have an interim head coach. They're not making the playoffs. Why are you writing these columns? And what happened? So they made the playoffs. So what I will say is, yes, it's it's logical to be concerned, reasonable concern starting off 0-2, but there are 15 games left in the season. That's a lot of time. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of things can happen. There are injuries. This happens. There's the trade deadline. All sorts of things can happen. So I wouldn't I wouldn't buy too much into the percentage numbers. Because eventually you're going to have a team that starts 0-2 make the playoffs. And I and in my Sports Night article, I point out that the Houston Texans started off 0-3. And they mm-hmm. won their division. Yep. And this wasn't a bad AFC South division. This is a division where the Colts went 10-7. And, and I believe the Titans went 9-7. The, the Colts went 10-6 and, and the Titans went 9-7. and seven. So this wasn't a bad AFC South division where they only had one team over 500. This is a Texans team that started off 0-3, finished 11-5, and won a pretty good division. So I'm not hitting the panic button just yet. There you go. Mo got you all cheered up. Look at that. We got we got That's him. What I'm here for. He's 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 looking with the glass half full. All right, we're gonna take our break right now. When we come back, we're gonna talk about Josh McDaniels. We're gonna talk about the coach. A lot of you heated. A lot of you after two games. Want the guy fired, which I think is a little bit of an overreaction, maybe. Uh, And we're going to talk about uh, what he did, what we saw during the game from a play-calling perspective and also from a communications perspective. Is there some issues? We heard some comments from the locker room that kind of raised my eyebrows, so we'll talk about that here. You're with Mo Moten and Scott Branson. This is Silver and Black Today. Don't go anywhere. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back. Silver and Black today, an Odyssey original podcast. Thanks for being with us. Mo Moten, Scott Branson. We are dissecting one last time before we move on to week three in the Tennessee Titans on Thursday. Today, we're devoting our time talking about the game that was, analyzing a little more deeply than we do on our postgame show. By the way, thank you for all joining us on the postgame show and, and providing maybe some therapy, at least some anger management <laughs> for you. Mo, it was pretty crazy to see some of the comments in there. Um, and from longtime listeners who are always very positive on the team, on the quarterback, on this, who just were in, in the throes of despair after that loss. It's tough being a fan sometimes. 
I get it because you know when expectations heighten, when you're disappointed, you know the the bottom can fall out. So if this team was expected to only go six and eleven, you wouldn't be hearing that. But because this team was expected to go further into the playoffs, fans are hitting the panic button. No doubt. And and what we want to address here in this second segment of today's a Tuesday edition is the coach, Josh McDaniels. A lot of heat coming his way as far as what happened in the second half preparation for these games and I want to get to some comments in a minute but first overall Mo we talked in the first segment a little bit about play calling about giving Derek Carr some more opportunities through play calling to perhaps create more when you look at the game that was called when you look at the first half versus the second half and then the Cardinal game versus the Charger game what themes are you seeing that are concerning what did you see that was encouraging from Josh McDaniels in his reemergence as a head coach and as a play caller? The concerning thing is, and this is what I mentioned in the first segment, is the lack of commitment to the run game. I believe going into week three, the Rays had the second fewest rush attempts across the league. Now, I get it. Against the Chargers, you're trailing by double-digit points. You got to push the ball down the field. But as I said, when you're up 20 to zero at halftime, when you're up 23 to seven in the fourth quarter, run the ball. <laughs> you know, and so I understand you got Derek Carr and all of these weapons, but you don't want to fall in love too much with that. You you got a pretty good running back in Josh Jacobs, again, who I believe is is rushing for 4.3 yards per carry for the season. Feed him the football. And the one thing I was surprised is that Jazamir White is not getting more run with uh, Brandon Bolden out, but he was going to get more than one carry for two yards. That didn't happen. So that's the one concerning thing for me as far as Josh McDaniels is concerned. The good thing I'm seeing is that the offensive line isn't isn't it's not wrecking the game as I thought it would. Now a lot of people right. thought like the offensive line is gonna be the reason why this team fails. It seems like this team is able to move the ball even with the offensive line not being at its greatest. It's not completely terrible, awful. There are some mistakes there. Mumford had two penalties on one drive, I believe. I believe he had a legal formation, and he had a holding penalty on one drive. I believe Colt Miller got called for a penalty. I believe Parham got called for a penalty, but he's growing. He's a rookie. I get it. And his but first the game at center. His first game right. at center, yeah. Right. So I the offensive line being what it is, considering the players that they have there that are still developing and young, I believe it's not it's not going to impede them from, again, moving the ball and racking up yards and scoring touchdowns. It's just now it's all about execution. Derek Carr is not deadly accurate at this point. I, I think he has to settle down. I think his processing may be a little slow, and that's why he's holding on to the ball. He's trying to make plays. I think that's more of an issue right now than the offensive line. Yeah, a lot of people were calling the offensive line trash again, and I didn't see it. I, I thought, listen, were, are they something to write home about? No, no. but they, they did not. They improved game over game. They improved. The only thing, you talked about the penalties with Munford, and I know I know, long term that's probably the guy, but I don't understand. That got back to the rotation thing. Uh, Cotton was in there, then you put this rookie in there, and suddenly he's committing penalties. So to me, again, that's why you need to have a cohesive unit. You stick with a guy, and you go. You had Cotton... And Illuminor in there, and they were doing just fine. Now, maybe something happened, and he, he had, I don't know, an equipment issue, and they took him out, and they just got the guy in. But while you continue to do rotation, that's what happens. You have communication issues. You have guys jumping off the ball pre-snap, and, and that's what happens. Uh, Parham, you understand, and, and he had a good game. But, yeah, that, that's a good take, Bo, because I, I saw so, so many people, because of 
so much of the conversation has been around this offensive line, they actually improved. I mean, there were good things that happened in this game despite the way it ended, and, and that had to be one of them. Um, when you look at overall, though, we talked about throughout the whole preseason, and you and I both incredibly impressed with the focus on detail, preparation, and discipline as they went through that preseason with, with no penalties, right? They executed well on the field with the second and third stringers for the most part. Uh, we were impressed by that. Then you get these first teams out there, and it seems like that never happened. What can be the cause of that? Is that a preparation issue? I mean, to me, it goes back, and, and I titled the segment, The Buck Stops There. It stops with Josh McDaniels, but something has happened. Something has been lost in translation between what they were doing in camp and what they've done in weeks one and two. I think a lot of that is what you mentioned. is just you're going up against starters now. These aren't mm-hmm. second and third stringers competing for jobs. Uh, it's a lot easier to be turnover free and limit your penalties when you're going against guys who may not be on a roster week one. Harder to do that when you're going up against Khalil Mack, Joey Bosa, Buda Baker, and JJ Watt. You know, so there's yeah. there's a competent there's a competition factor there. And I think Josh McDaniels said this during last week's presser after the Chargers game is that. He could tell guys about penalties all he wants. You know, penalties are going to happen. You're not going to be perfect there. But he guys understand what their job is. It's just a matter of execution. Yeah. And, and here, I want to talk about this, too, with Josh McDaniels, because I, I get the sense, and I don't have any inside information. Let me make that clear. There's been no reports of this. I, I'm just going with a gut feel that there is issues here with communications. Uh, between the, the play caller and the quarterback, the relationship development there, and and it permeates the team. And and let me explain to you why. So after the game, I'm reading uh, the the game stories that came out on Monday morning. Vic Tafer, Vinny Bonsignor both had uh, these quotes. And 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 if you watch the press conference, you heard this too. Um, and they asked Derek Carr about not executing on plays. And this is what Derek Carr said. And there's three comments that I want to I want to read here and then get you, get your your thought on this. Carr says we did not, quote, we did not execute each play with the detail that I think we should have the way that we did in the first half. Okay, so they didn't execute in the second half. Clearly that was true. Um, And and so you understand that suddenly there's some loss of focus, right, is kind of what he's getting at, that you didn't pay attention to the detail. And it's a sweeping remark, so he's, he's including himself, I would imagine. Then... You, they asked Josh Jacobs, uh, hey, how come you didn't run the ball more? You know, what's going on? How come you're not more involved? And he says, quote, I feel like that's above my head, right? Above my head. I ain't really making that call, okay? So he says that. Then Foster Moreau, and this is the one that I actually, maybe I'm reading too much into it, and you can tell me, Mo. They asked Foster Moe about what the problem is with this offense. Why is it having the issues it's having? Moreau says, quote, honestly, No, he doesn't know why, especially not seeing the film. To be honest with you, it wouldn't really be my place. Wouldn't be my place. My job's my job, right? I'm sorry. It sounds like a BS answer, but it's just the truth. Okay. So there you go. You got a little bit of, you know, like I remember being a teenager and working fast food and all that stuff. And it was like, hey, I need your help. Hey, that's not my job. That's not my job. Uh, Sorry. I'm too busy for you. I got to do my job, not your job. Uh, I'm not going to help you either because I just got to do my job. So, so again, to me, it's concerning because you have a leader on the offense, which is your quarterback, 
you have these amazing amount of talent uh, in that room, a veteran offense for the most part, and you're getting these comments like it's not my job. Um, what do you make of those comments after the game? Sometimes we read too much into it. I get it. But they're so similar in what they're saying. And then what we've heard out of the locker room, too, in the day since. It's just odd to me, Mo. I don't know what's going on there. Well, to me, I take it as they don't have any say so on how the game is called. So Josh mm-hmm. Jacobs is to me, Josh Jacobs is basically saying, look, when my number is called, I, you know, I run the ball. Right. I'm not out there, you know, making up the game plan. Basically, that's the offensive coordinator, the quarterback, and coaches. And same thing I get from Foster Moreau is I'm just going to do what I'm told. I'm not going to go to the sideline. The, these two guys are, are basically saying I'm I'm not the leader in the locker room when it comes to making these mm-hmm. calls. Yes. And I, I think when it comes down to to that sort of situation, they should if they do have gripes with the way things are going, they need to take that to Derek Carr, and Derek Carr could take that to Josh McDaniels. There's a chain of command there. Yeah, and, and I get that, and, and I don't disagree with you. I just think, though, that it, it's interesting to me because clearly there is some conversation not happening, or there's a, there's a hey, I can't answer that question because it's not my question to answer, which I respect because, yeah, you don't want a guy speaking out of school, but at the same time you want to have a locker room where guys will speak up and be self-critical and say, hey, you know what? This is on all of us players. You know what? I have a job to do, and so does everybody else. We all got to look at each other and say, we got to get the job done. And if another guy's not getting the job done, then it's up to us to say, hey, you want to get the job done or we'll get somebody else in there? So to me, maybe it's only two games in, so it hasn't gotten too raucous there in that locker room. But it just concerns me because um, there's not a freedom, I guess, of the players and the relationship with the coaching staff that's implied here, at least, to say, hey, listen, you know, put me in, coach. Let me run the ball. Let me run the ball. Uh, now, he may have, and he's just being a good soldier. I get that, and I respect it to, to one side. But um, it just seems to me when you hear um, Derek Carr talk about the offense, you, you hear uh, Josh McDaniels praise Derek Carr that he's done a great job, and that's not him, uh, but yet doesn't say that it's the play calling either. So uh, I'm just confused. I feel like there's, get, there's conflicting messages coming out of the locker room. Just remember where Josh McDaniels come comes from. They're not <laughs> they're not gonna they're not gonna say I think there's no, this is just me speculating. I don't know this for sure. But I think there's a mandate out there to players like look, don't talk about X's and O's, don't talk about whose responsibility, who's you know, if you if you just want to say no comment, say no comment, but otherwise do not give the media anything to feed off of because just like you and I are doing on these microphones, mm-hmm. if a player says something that could be misconstrued or twisted to, to mean something else, it's going to be in headlines. And I think the one thing that Josh McDaniels does not want is distractions. And as I said, he comes from the Bill Belichick coaching tree in New England where they're not going to give you much. They don't want the distractions. They don't want players giving anything to the media. So I think part of that is they just don't want to, as you said, kind of speak out of chain of command or out of turn so that their words can be twisted to mean something else. And now on Wednesday, Josh McDaniels has to get up to the podium and he has to answer questions about what Foster Moreau said after the game, what Josh (laughs) Jacobs said after the game. He doesn't want to have to do that. He wants to spend time and just focus on the game, focus on the next opponent. Yeah, and we don't know what we don't know. We don't know what's going on there. And and also, I think that you you have, even though Josh McDaniels has been around the NFL for a long time, of course, he had his his 
bad run in with the head coaching position when he was in Denver. We all know that history. But in essence, he's a first time head coach again. And so how much of this malaise is related to a guy coming in and just not having the experience yet? Yes, the experience he had was so long ago and it was so forgettable that I don't even I'm kind of even putting it aside. Right. He said he learned from it. But again, the day to day running of a football operation on the field is not easy. You're relying on your coach as you make all these great hires. And there are some great hires, I believe, there. But you're all still getting used to each other, and that includes the players and the coaching. How much of this not knowing your team and your team not knowing you, how much of that could be at play here, Mo? Yeah, definitely is a filling out period. Just think about any time you go to a new job or you are at a job and you get a new supervisor or manager or whatever, there's a filling out period that has to go on. Now, they've had a whole summer, but it's different. Once you get into a game, there are different situations that come up. There are different things that you have to go through and chain of command and how do I approach this player about this situation? So, yes, there is a growing period. But I will say to Raider fans who are worried about the coaching in, with the Raiders is at least he's not Nathaniel Hackett. At least he's not <laughs> taking the ball out of Derek Carr's hand. At least oh. he knows to put a punt returner on the field when it's time to, you know, kick punts. At least they're not squandering timeouts because it could be a lot worse. And I know that's the bar is low in Denver with that head coach. But uh, I think Josh McDaniel's issue right now is just finding a balance. And I think that goes back to my main point about him is that he needs to incorporate Josh Jacobs a little more and Zamir White. You drafted the guy as your second draft pick in the fourth round, Zamir White. You have a talented running back room. That's one of the things we talked about all summer was mm -hmm. how good their running back room is, how they're going to have some balance. They established a run in just about every preseason game they played in. So let's see it translate for the regular season because it's only going to help the Raiders if they do. Yeah, it, it just it, it, and it's hard because this was a game I think you had to have. It's not a must-win game, to your point, and 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 you mm -hmm. walked everybody off the ledge with your with your stat busting. But um, it, it's a game you had to have because now you're going on the road in Tennessee. I think you you and I both picked them to win that one on the road. Um, I'm not convinced of that. I, I this team I wouldn't pick this team until they win. Um, because I think they need to know how to win and they need to put it up on the scoreboard before I'm a believer that they can win a game. Uh, I think it'll come, obviously. There's too much talent there to, 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 to do that. But then you got to go home and face Denver, right? Okay, that, that Denver looks to be somewhat of a mess, but they have Russell Wilson, and I know a lot of people want to poo-poo Russell Wilson. I still believe the guy is talented and can win a game by himself, like we saw with Kyle Mur Kyle, Kyler Murray on Sunday. Um, and then you got to go to Kansas City, and then you get the bye. I mean, you, you got to try to get to close to 500 to get out of this thing, I believe, to, to come out of the bye week really with some momentum. Uh, and going to Kansas City is going to be tough, man. They, they're Even without Tyreek Hill, they look good, so it, it's going to be interesting. Now, um, we're going to take our final break here. And when my, Mo and I come back, we're going to talk about Derek Carr specifically. Um, I, for those of you who've listened to the show for five years – um, I've never been somebody hard on Derek Carr. When he's not played well, I've said he's not played well. When he's played well, I have. I've defended him against people who hate him just for no reason. But we're going to get into it and talk about I've, I, I went too, I went deep. I, I texted Mo yesterday at lunch. I said, dude, I'm spending my lunch in, in PFF going over Derek Carr. And I know I he probably spit out his water laughing. But um, we're going to go through that, and we're going to talk about Carr's role in all of this. He is not the only one. He's not to blame individually, but we're going to talk about that 
when we come back to end the show. Uh, once again, do us a favor, if you would, please go subscribe to the show. If you're listening to us on the audio podcast, we certainly appreciate that. Go and subscribe wherever you do. You can always find the link in our profile on Twitter at SNB Today. And click right there. No matter what device you're on, however you listen to it, you can subscribe to it. If you're watching us on YouTube, thank you and hello. And uh, hit the subscription, but you also got to hit the notification button for us or you won't even know when we go on. That's how YouTube works. So we appreciate you smashing that one for us. And uh, that will get you to us. And you can be part of this lively chat that we have every time we have a video up. So we appreciate that. All right. When Mo and I come back, we're going to talk Derek Carr for the rest of the show. You're listening to Silver and Black today, an Odyssey original podcast. We'll be right back. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back. Home stretch, Silver and Black today, an Odyssey original podcast. Thanks for being with us, Raider Nation. Do us a favor, make sure you subscribe to the show, whether you're listening or watching on YouTube or wherever you're watching us. We appreciate that. Mo Moten, Scott Branson, back with you as always. We are talking Raiders football. Of course, we are now into week three of the NFL season. The Raiders will be playing at Nissan Stadium in Nashville on Sunday. In his Shout out to Murph. Shout out to the Murph, man. I'm going to try to get down there. It's not looking good. Um, too much stuff going on, man. It's, and it's the it's it's Raiders' closest game to me here in Ohio, and I'm trying to get down there. And I wanted to hang with Murph and do the show down there, but I don't think it's going to happen. But you never know. I might pull a surprise on you. Uh, but, yes, Murph will be there. They're doing a great tailgate. Make sure you check out Raiders Fan Radio, by the way. Uh, Murph called in on the phone. We had to keep him off bridges. Did you hear this, Mo? He was driving. For a business trip and he's like i'm trying to find a bridge i'm like no no don't go near <laughs> bridge and he was hardest i've ever heard him on any player last night excuse me on sunday night uh on Derek carr not I murph not, yes i could not believe it if you listen back to sunday's show you'll hear me he says it and there's a pause and i say wow because i, I it, was, <laughs> it was crazy but I think it brings up a good point. That's why we're going to talk about Derek Carr uh, in this segment. And this is, I know Mo and I have maybe a little bit of a disagreement on this. Not on the one performance, yes, but overall, I think you got to start looking at some of what we're doing. And I am using PFF stats, and I know some of you hate PFF stats, but they are directional. I'm not saying they're 100% accurate on everything, but they're directional. And so I'm going to use those. But Mo, we look at Derek Carr and his performance. First of all, I want to set the stage here. The Raiders, overall, 31st in passing in the NFL through two games. Only the Bears are worse, okay? Just to put that. They're 25th overall in offense. Defense, by the way, because everybody, oh, defense sucks. It's a def defense is 14th overall. They're fifth against the run. I don't know how that happened, but they are. 
or excuse me, ninth against the run. And uh, so that's where the teams rank out. So the Raiders are last in passing. Now, some of that's on coaching. We just talked about Josh McDaniels last segment. Clearly the play calling, the creativity, mixing it up, using the run, by the way, when you don't use the run effectively and stick with it when you can, it doesn't free up guys like Devontae Adams because they know what's coming. And like you said, they play that too high safety, which they did. The Cardinals did effectively against Derek Carr. But here's what I want to get to, Mo. And I'm going to start with the first bunch of stats I'm throwing at you. So if numbers bother you, you might want to tune out. No, you'll, you'll be fine. Um, using PFF stats, overall, the 22 grade for Derek Carr so far, overall, is a 41.5. No, I did not misspeak. 41.5. Passing's 42.3. Um, that's 29th in the NFL overall. So if you look at this, it, it's, it's a question that I want to ask you. And, and we can't read too much into, into these scores, but it's not good. Derek Carr is not off to a good start. We all know that. But here's another interesting thing to talk about when we look at committing to the run. And this, this bolsters the point you've made throughout this show about Josh McDaniels. Derek Carr in play action, so when they run a play action pass, overall the score is 71.5 or 70.3 passing. On non-play action plays, his overall quarterback score is 36.7, okay? Overall, um, he's 34th in the league as far as PFS scores go as a quarterback behind Cooper Rush, behind Baker Mayfield, and behind Jared Goff. So, Mo, Derek Carr overall, um, not all his fault. Some of it's the play calling, but he's not looked himself. I said it at the beginning of the show, physical, mental. I don't know where it is. But what else are you seeing with him that gives you pause? Because he's losing the confidence of fans. If, if he doesn't lose confidence of his team, then that doesn't matter. But it doesn't seem as though he has the grasp on things as he has in the past. It seems like there's been a large amount of regression since the beginning of last season. I briefly mentioned it in, I believe, the first segment. I think part of it is processing. And I believe it was talked about during the Chargers game. I forgot who mentioned it, but they brought this up. And I and I kind of knew this from the, in the back of my head from watching Patriots games is that Josh McDaniels has a pretty, uh, I don't want to call it complicated, complex playbook system. So it it may take some, now I know Mac Jones had a decent season under him, so no excuses for Derek Carr because Mac Jones is a rookie. But what I'm saying is that Derek Carr being in Gruden system for three, three and a half years, now has to pick up another system. Now he should be used to it by now with the way his career has gone. But with Joshua Daniels' complex system and offense, it, Derek Carr may be taking a little longer to process. Now that's not an excuse. That's just the reality of it and maybe the reason why he's holding on to the ball a little longer other than trying to make a play downfield. Again, I'm not saying this as an excuse. I'm giving this as a reason why you're seeing Derek Carr mm -hmm. maybe hold on to the ball and have more than 2.5 seconds in the pocket to throw it's because he's still having issues with processing that also leans into issues with ball placement issues with accuracy all of those things are connected they're not separate aspects of his game all of that stuff is connected so this is why you're probably seeing some of the struggles from him in the pocket right and i and, and i agree with you i don't think you're making an excuse i know some fans are going to hear this and they're going to oh, he's making excuses again mm -hmm. and i understand it if you don't want to open your ears and listen then i can't make you 
but but I get what you're saying, Mo. Uh, but you look at the situation, and and then you just wonder if if and again, mentally, and the Raiders, you know, is he, is it possible anymore? Is is he uh, is he able to elevate his game to a level? The guy's a gifted athlete. There's no question. But can he elevate his game? And more importantly, as you saw Kyler Murray do on, I'm sorry, a bad Cardinals team, he <laughs> elevated his whole team. He said, mm-hmm. guys, come on my little shoulders, <laughs> right? And I'm going to take you or his feet, okay? And, and he did. And so that's where I'm wondering for the first time I have serious doubts. And God, God help him. Hope he proves me wrong. I have serious doubts whether he can do it. And then I hear a lot of fans, well, the offensive line sucks. But I looked at those numbers, too. When Derek Carr is kept clean, if you don't know what that term means, that means he's got a clean pocket, nobody touches him, he's not under pressure. He's 18 of 31 for 210 yards with three interceptions, 43 rank. When he's under pressure, he's actually better at 49.5. When he's not blitzed, actually, he's got the most, he's had the most completions He's four of eight, 50% when he's blitzed. So, so it's not a, a matter of a rush and that he's just so manic that he's got to throw the ball and he's making bad choices. As bad as the offensive line has been in moments, he's actually been pretty clean and had a clean pocket. He had a clean pocket most of the night against the Cardinals. And so to your point about getting used to a new system and familiarity and all that stuff – when does that end? When do you, when does a guy transcend his challenges and take that team on his shoulders and go to the next step? That's all to Derek Carr. Uh, but <laughs> I, I, I will, I will say this. And I think a lot of fans are frustrated with Derek Carr partially because they saw what Kyler Murray can do. Right. Kyler Murray, yeah, not a fair comparison. A, right. Kyler Murray could take an 85 year old AJ green, Greg Dorch, <laughs> And Marquise Brown, who underwhelmed with the Baltimore Ravens and turned that team into a legitimate playoff contender. You put Derek Carr on that squad, I'm not sh- he can't do what Kyler Murray can do. Right. Now, I think the, the faulty thinking is to think that Derek Carr can be that eventually. Derek Carr is never going to be a, a natural mover in the pocket. That's just not him. Can you work on him with that? Sure you can because we saw John Gruden do it. So to, your, to answer your question, you can work on certain aspects of Derek Carr's game but for the most part, he is what he is at this point in his career. And I'm going to piss off some Derek Carr supporters here by saying this, but I've always had him in that 11 to 13 quarterback range as far as ranking quarterbacks. This is why he's not regarded as a top 10 quarterback because he doesn't have the mobility that a Kyler, not necessarily Kyler Murray is an unfair comparison because he's one of a kind player, but he's not a mobile quarterback that can extend plays naturally. You kind of have to teach it to him. You kind of have to work on it with him. Right. So he doesn't have he doesn't have that. And Derek Carr, as I've said in previous shows in previous years, he can give you a string of AA plus games, but he can also give you a string of CC plus D games. And he had one of his worst games already this season. Yeah. Now you want to say, oh, it's because of a new system. Well, Tua's got a first year head coach, new system, six touchdown passes thrown but, for Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. Yeah, it's true. And 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 I think you're right. I think that is what it is. I think again, we've always said this too on the show that Derek Carr's a good quarterback. He's a good starting quarterback, yeah. but he's not a transcendent quarterback. And even what Tua did, that's not something he can do. Now, Derek Carr's had some great games 
where he's right. thrown for a, a million miles, right? He's, he's had great, great games. But I think, too, now he's over 30, and so that mobility is not going to get better, right? You look at a Josh Allen, who's a bigger guy. You look at a Justin Herbert, who's a bigger guy, and how they can move, um, and and that's what you don't have. And so, so to me, then, it goes back to not a conspiracy theory, but something we discussed when Derek Carr signed his extension, and that was – Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler gave them a nice, nice raise and a nice contract, but they can get out of it. They can, it's a no fault divorce after this season. And so could that be, even though everybody talked the talk and said, this is great. I have, I have now I know where I'm going to be and blah, blah, blah. The reality he doesn't, he got a bunch of money. Okay. And that's great for him and his family. I, I, I appreciate that. But could that pressure not only with a new system, but the pressure of the contract and, hey, if I don't play well, I'm out of here and this is going to change. Could that also be a factor? I mean, I know we need to ask Derek Carr these questions, but he's not going to answer us, so I pose it to you. So here's where I'm going to defend Derek Carr and piss off the people that don't like him. <laughs> um, <laughs> Derek Carr, I mean, I don't think Derek Carr has faced any more pressure than he faced last year. He had Derek Carr mm, had to put that team point. on his back last year. John Gruden had to resign. Darren Waller hurt Henry Ruggs in a tragic accident that he caused. So there was a lot on him last year, and he was asked to be the leader of that football team, and he succeeded in doing that. Now, he didn't, they didn't win the Super Bowl or anything, but we developed a new level of respect for Derek Carr after last season after what he did considering what he had around him. Very so he can handle he can handle that pressure. Now, it, it's just the physical things, you, and you said it, he's never going to be a Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, a Justin Herbert, or Josh Allen. He, he's not a toolsy type of quarterback. Now, he's got the physical athleticism, but he's not toolsy like those guys, so he's got some limitations. So what Raiders fans have been tweeting to me about is they're looking around, they're seeing Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, uh, guys on the come up, and they're saying, why should we stick with Derek Carr knowing he is what he is when we can possibly get better? Don't be afraid to improve when we can take a chance on a Tuesday guy and possibly reach the next level because we haven't been able to do that under Derek Carr. And the problem every year we run into in the offseason is if you got a quarterback who's good, who's a B-plus quarterback that you can get to the Super Bowl with, you don't move on from that player unless you see a clear upgrade or unless you see a player that, right. you know what? I can work on that guy, and that guy can bring us to the next level. Unless you see that, then you stick with what you got, which is pretty good. Yeah, pretty good is fine. I don't think pretty good wins a conference championship or a Super Bowl. And so I would argue, I've always said that if Derek Carr had the perfect situation, he could. I don't think there is a perfect situation. So maybe I'm arguing against myself. <laughs> but I just think that, look, you have to be a guy. It's not 1994. It's not Trent Dilfer's year in the NFL where he took a team to the playoffs and to the Super Bowl and won as a game manager. There's been a lot of game managers who've gotten there and done it, right? And, and they had teams around them, dominant defenses. If the Raiders had some amazingly dominant defense and had Aaron Donald and all these, th then maybe you'd have a better shot of it. But I, I think that's what this whole contract structure was about. It's a feeling out period. And again, I don't blame Derek Carr. I know what he did last year under all that pressure, which was off-the-field tragedy, your coach being ripped out from underneath you for stupid things that he did. Um, I get it. Like, that is a remarkable leader of men in one way. 
but leading the men on the football field doesn't seem to be at the same level as he does in life. And at the end of the day, the most important thing in life is the other stuff, but he's getting paid to do the field stuff right now. And I think that's where people are feeling a little let down because they don't see necessarily, and again, we don't see it all. Look, from the outside, you don't see it all. But they don't see that next gear. It's like, hey, man, I like this little pickup truck. It's a four-gear pickup truck, and man, it's awesome. It always starts, and it goes, and it gets me where I need to. But I need that fifth gear to get past that truck, and it just doesn't get there. Yeah, when you're going up against teams with a Josh Allen, a Justin Herbert, a Patrick Mahomes, uh, you stand a better chance if you have a quarterback that can, you know, do all the – has all the intangibles, has the mm-hmm. tools and all that matter. And Derek Carr is a little bit limited. But what I will say is that within the past five years or six years, we've seen Nick Foles win a Super Bowl. We've seen Jared Goff get there. We've seen Joe Burrow get there. A lot of people crown Joe Burrow a top-five quarterback, which – I paused this offseason when a lot of people had Joe Burrow in the top five. Right now, Bengals are struggling at 0-2. Joe Burrow has yep. more interceptions than touchdowns. Yep. So what I will say is that if you build – when you have a quarterback like Derek Carr who's not elite, not a top five quarterback, you have to build a certain team around him, which means you got to have a strong offensive line, which they don't have. you got to have good weapons, which they do have. Now, right now, if I'm looking at the Raiders and saying, could this team reach the Super Bowl? I'm I'm probably saying no because offensive line is not strong enough. People say, Well, what about the Bengals last year? You know, right? What about the Bengals last year? Right? That's that's the that's the main argument. But what I will say about, about the Bengals is number one, that's an anomaly. And you're seeing that right now. They're 0 2. Joe, Joe Burrow's still getting hit. They fixed their offensive line, supposedly. Joe Burrow's still getting, still getting hit. Yeah. So this is not something you want to hang your hand on saying, this is the example. That's not the example. That's the outlier. You never want to chase after the outlier because you're probably not going to get there. You're probably not going to replicate that. So when you have a Derek Carr, again, a B-plus quarterback who's not who's not necessarily a naturally mobile quarterback, doesn't have a huge, huge arm, but can get the ball downfield, you have to build accordingly, and I don't think the Raiders address their offensive line adequately. You and I have talked about this endlessly, Endless. and it's starting to show up a different spot. Now, we're not saying, as we said earlier in the show, we're not saying that the offensive line is terrible. It's okay for what, what they've been doing for right now, but with a Derek Carr, if he had an A-plus offensive line, you'd probably get a lot more out of him. Now, again, that's not an excuse because he should be able to deliver either way. If your quarterback is your quarterback and you're going to pay him a lot of money, he has to be able to overcome some things. But we know what Derek Carr is at this point. It's year nine. Derek Carr is not going to all of a sudden become a different quarterback in year nine, ten. It's just not going to happen. You know what he is. You know what his strengths are. You know what his weaknesses are. And you have to build your roster accordingly. Well, and 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 you're right. And, I, and again, I go back to the contract. Okay, this is a one-year thing. This is a one-year thing. Now, you just went out and signed a lot of guys for a lot of money. But... If you need to start over and go get a quarterback, um, they they might do that. I don't know. It all depends on the year plays out. We got a long way to go, as you mentioned. Sixteen more weeks, right? Technically, uh, of the season, fifteen more games for the Raiders, and uh, we'll see how it all plays out. But I'll tell you, my my confidence in the quarterback is a little bit shaken. I want to see how they respond to this this bad start going on the road at Tennessee. And sometimes going on the road is actually what you need. You get away from a little bit of the the buzz and 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 the home stuff and all the the girlfriends, the wives, the kids, all that, and you get on the road with just the guys, 
and maybe you gel together and you find it and see how what they do in practice. So it's going to be interesting what happens, Mo. Hey, Mo, we are going to get back together tomorrow. We get to do mailbag. We didn't do a mailbag last week. You and I, our schedules were just too jacked up to get that done. So we got some good questions. We're going to focus on three great questions we got on so we can go a little bit deeper on them. But always a fun time on a Wednesday when it's Raider Nation mailbag. Really quick, you mentioned going to road and just being with the guys and getting away from the family and the girlfriend. It sounds like Tom Brady maybe needs you know, a long road trip. Maybe you think that just, I, I that think just popped the, in my head. I think it's the opposite. I think he he needs to. I think she's gonna say, "Hey, okay, you got this year, and if you don't retire, I'm out of here, and I'm taking half. I'm taking half, and that's a lot." So yeah, that's a strange situation, but but I get it. You know, at some point, it's like you want your husband around for your kids, but at the same time, you also married into what you married into. So you went in with your eyes fully wide open, but we don't know what was said in between. It's amazing that the soap opera drama has come over to the NFL. Just yeah, it's, the NFL is the best running soap opera drama show <laughs> running right now. So it is absolutely. Uh, but Mo, okay, we'll talk to you tomorrow, my man, for the mailbag, and then on Thursday we're going to dive deep on looking forward, as we always do on Thursday. Uh, on the Tennessee Titans, so we'll break that down a little bit. We'll also update you on any Raiders roster news, if they make any changes. Also, injuries. We didn't talk about any of the injuries today as we were looking back, but looking forward on Thursday, we'll talk about those as well. My friend, I will talk to you tomorrow as we open up the mail. Absolutely, and there'll be gut check time coming up this week against the Titans, so look out for be. that. All right. Uh, for Mo Moten, I'm Scott Colbrands, and this has been Silver and Black Today, an Odyssey original podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever you're listening or watching us. We appreciate it, Raider Nation. Take a deep breath. There's another game coming up on Sunday. Let's see if the Raiders can get off the schneid and get their first win of the season. For everybody here, have a great week. We'll talk to you tomorrow on the mailbag. We'll talk to you Thursday on our Thursday edition. And make sure you follow Mo on Twitter at M-O-E-M-O-T-O-N. And I am at L-V-Gully. Take care, Raider Nation. We'll talk to you next time.